Hello and welcome to Labor Pains Podcast brought to you by Women Connect and Support. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. This podcast is to help women and men that, that have experienced infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. We share stories of others that are struggling with infertility, loss, and the grief. We will also have episodes with experts to help answer any questions and give you resources to help you with your desire to have a family. Today's guest, Connie, was, has endured a lot. She is still learning to cope with the grief from a recent loss. We had a little technical difficulty during this recording, but stick with it to hear how Connie is continuing to remember and carry on the legacy of her children. Hello and welcome to the podcast. And I would love to introduce my guest today. Connie, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Teresa. I appreciate you inviting me. Sure. I am so excited. And I, and that's always a word that I'm not sure if I should say or not, but I'm excited about me hearing your entire story and for you to share your story with the listeners. Because we know when we, are, we share those story, stories, we can connect to other people. So that's where my excitement comes from. Another story that can be shared where we can help other people that might be struggling with infertility or loss of a child. So as always, I'd like to ask you, when did you decide that you wanted to have children? So I am 48 now. So I was actually, I got married Mm -hmm. um, to my first husband um, when I was 20. And I will say when I first got married, I was 20 and between my sophomore and junior year of college um tim was my high school sweetheart so we had dated five years prior and at the time i didn't want children um because i wanted to finish my college education Mm -hmm. um and so but after being married for a year and building our home um i don't know what kicked in but something kicked in that i really really wanted a child then at that point such that we started trying after being married for a year because i thought wouldn't it be great if i got pregnant. And, um, and then when I graduated from college, then I would have this baby and the next phase of my life would start. And I guess that's just how I had it would go. And so I, we Mm -hmm. didn't take any extra measures at that time to do anything about it. Cause like I said, I was still in college and 20 years old, not 21, I guess was when I, we first went off, um, taking any kind of preventative measures. And if it happened, it happened. And if not, that's fine too. Cause I was pretty young and, um, but it was at that point. And after probably three years, like two years out of college, um, I ran a piano studio and I worked with kids all day long. So that was fun and great. And so I got, you know, like a kid fix, so to speak every day almost. Uh-huh. And I was also trained in kinder music classes, which are for even younger children, so, um, and I just all thought like it all happened when it's supposed to happen. And I was very laid back about it initially, um, up until okay. about, I guess the time I was 24 and actually what happened mm-hmm. was my grandfather, um, passed away and it broke my heart that my grandpa wasn't going to mm-hmm. get to see my children and my grandma oh. was still alive. And I thought, there might be something 
up with why I haven't had children yet. And um, she was ill. And so I thought, you know, I need to really check this out and see, because I would love for my grandparents to have known my children because I was so close to my grandparents. And so we started, you know, with the simple tests and then we went to the more invasive tests (laughs) and then we went through, you know, start, you know, how the whole process goes. It starts like you try one thing and then that doesn't work. Then you go to the next thing that's more invasive and more um, expensive. And uh, my husband um, was in graduate school at the time. And so we had, you know, limited funds to pursue a lot of things. But by 1997, he was done. So then we really kind of like, I would say, buckled down and said, okay, now it hasn't. So we got married in 92. Now it's 1997. And like, we got to, we're really willing to invest more, you know, time and energy. Right. Um, And so we, I think I lose track because, you know, it's been a minute. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I yeah, I get it. I and totally so it. we went from one specialist to another specialist that was supposed to be more appropriate. So they said I had um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so okay. the nerd that I am, um, I started researching like what can be done for that. And at the time, it was new information that um for pe- women with PCOS that the drug um, metformin that's typically used for diabetic mm-hmm. people um, would benefit um, getting your hormones straightened out, so to speak. And okay. so we yeah. did, so we started that. And then we also did, um, we started in vitro fertilization and yeah. So okay. we just went like in, like I said, my husband at the time, my first husband, um, my children's father was in the medical industry. Um, so like he was up on the latest and greatest uh, things that were happening. And like I said, it had been a few years. And so we just dug right in. And so then finally in 19, so that was 97 where we started investing mm-hmm. thousands of dollars a month, not hundreds of dollars a month because right. it gets expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Quick. Very, it's very, yes. very expensive. And yes. so in 1999, we got pregnant with our daughter, Hope Marie. And um, we're just so, so, so excited because it. we got married, like I said, in 92. So this was 1999 after, you know, lots and lots of all kinds of, you know, invasive tests and the money and the all of it, you know, and the stress. And meanwhile, my girlfriend, like I was one of the yeah. first people in my little group of friends um, from high school and college to get married. And they were all married and having kids and we still were not. Yeah. And so that yeah. was, it That's was hard. hard. Um, we were the first one, we built a house right away. And so, you know, we were the ones having a lot of the parties still like, cause they were, I was in college. And so, you know, our house was like the social place yeah. to be. And which was fun. <laughs> and then when they got married, that was still all fun because it was still all couples. And then it started to be all the babies started showing up. And, you know, we were were trying and trying and trying. And my friends didn't have the same struggles. And so um, we what I noticed was we they stopped coming to the events because they were at home with their babies. And so 
our social circle got smaller as my friends were, you know, having not that it was not, there was no love lost or anything like a problem there. It was just their priorities and circumstances had changed. And so, but it was, um, it was challenging. Um, And I was happy for them, of course, and still Uh um, a little heartbroken over all of it. And so when we finally got pregnant after all of this time, it was a big deal. <laughs> it was a very big deal. Yeah. So when you got pregnant with Hope, that was the very first That was our pregnancy? first pregnancy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're pregnant. You're really, really excited, really excited. And the doctors are watching me like a hawk. You know, um, yeah. lots of extra testing, which was, I thought was cool because, you know, I got to see the, you know, the heartbeat and I got to, like, we were getting all kinds of, you know, not just blood tests, but ultrasounds, you know, like we were doing, you know, I got to do vaginal ultrasounds in the very beginning. So I got to see every little, t- you know, tiny growth, you know, yeah. and yeah. Um, that was during the time where like the internet was still, um, you know, starting up and not everybody had a website, but then there were websites out there. And now there's so many things out there for parents, you know, but at yeah. the time <laughs> it was, yeah. you know, I found these calendars that would say, you know, week, seven or week eight and week nine and it would tell you like it was the size of a grape or you know the baby was the size of a you know like right right (laughs) and so I printed out of course the whole year and you know put it on the calendar and my parents um I was the oldest I'm the oldest child in my on my side of the family and I have a younger brother Uh and we're very close and um he was not married during this whole time and so to have like Nick our first child was going to be the first grandchild. And so my parents were very excited and my friends were excited for us because, Mm -hmm. you know, it just has taken so long. And so we told everybody right away, not even thinking that there could be a possibility of anything that could go wrong because we thought that was behind us. We got, the goal was to get pregnant. We got pregnant. Um, I thought the worst was behind us. Honestly, it did not even occur to me that, um, because I wasn't aware of the statistics of um, pregnancy loss. Right. I was, when it happened to us, I was shocked to know the, how common it is, but it's not discussed. At least it wasn't discussed back in 1999 when we were going through all of that. But we had started to buy clothes, you know, like I had been looking at things you know, but I didn't want to, like, I would say jinx myself before I actually got pregnant. And so once I found out I was pregnant, mm-hmm. I started, like I said, buying things and, um, you know, decorating. And yeah. um, it was just this whole big, sure. you know, celebration of things, you know, and, and my mom, you know, yeah. we, everybody went a little overboard um, because we were just so excited. Right. <laughs> well, Yeah. Yeah, that's totally understandable with with you waiting so long. And then finally, finally, it has happened through everything that you had went through. Um, and right. now you're pregnant. So the excitement is totally, totally understandable. So what kind of transpired so, then? You lots alluded of testing. to that. This, then yeah, was so a we loss. had lots and lots of okay. testing. And so, um, again, I was telling everybody and my friends would say, I remember my one girlfriend said, you know, well, we didn't tell anybody until the second trimester and you might not want to say anything. Well, that's not my personality. 
And I was just ready to celebrate after, you know, everything we had been through. And so, um, of course, so I told everybody that would even listen that we're having a baby. And then we, and they said, well, you really want to wait until after your um, first trimester to say anything. And by then, you know, (laughs) I shared it, you know, and so (laughs) it was not much, we were not in our second trimester very long. And like I said, we were getting weekly scans and I mean, lots and lots of testing. And mm-hmm. it was, I think, at week 16, 15, 16, where we went in mm-hmm. and I knew something was wrong when they did the um, ultrasound and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And they said, well, mm. just let's try this again. Let's look at like we're going to do it this way. And but like something in my gut just knew like this is this is this is not good. And then like, how can this be happening? And, but we, you know, everything was going so well and, you know, and, um, and so they basically said we could either, because we were early in our second trimester, um, they said we could either have a DNC and take her or Mm -hmm. if you want, but this would be painful. You could just deliver her, you know, and, you know, then bring her in, bring the baby in and we could do testing if you want testing. And I wanted to know if it was for a girl. Um, And I wanted to know why, what happened, you know? And so our anniversary was, so I think we found out June 10th. Our anniversary was June 12th. And um, we actually um, I guess the right term is delivered her. Um, and we were like, we, my husband said, let's go away um, for the weekend um, because this is going to happen wherever we're going to happen. And mm-hmm. let's just get away from St. Louis. So we actually went down to the Op- Grand Ole Opry hotel down in Nashville and um, uh-huh. lost her there. Um and so it was very mm. surreal. Um, you know, I'm glad in a way we were out of town and it was, so there was nothing t- attached to the, you know, I didn't have, you know, I do, I'll never have to go back there if I don't want yeah. to go back there right. kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. Right. 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 And um, came back to St. Louis and of course like preserved everything as best as we could. And then we, brought the baby in for testing and they said it was a girl and they really couldn't tell us exactly what happened other than the hormones. My body was not producing the correct hormones to sustain the pregnancy. Mm. And um, so we decided that we would just take a break um, because it hurt so much. Now, before then I happened to be friends with Kathy Lambert. So at that time, um, you know, there's a pregnancy an early infant loss support group called SHARE, which has been um, Mm -hmm. just a huge part of our journey after we lost Hope. Um, So we named her Hope Marie. Mm -hmm. Hope for, um, that we had hope that we finally could get pregnant. And then Marie after, so I was raised Catholic. So after the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, we named her Hope Marie. And um, 
so prior to that time, like I said, I was a musician and um, my friend is Kathy Lambert and she um, ran, she was the national director of SHARE. So I would encourage anyone, if you haven't plugged into the resources that SHARE has, um, it was a really great uh, group and lots and lots of resources for support because not everybody understood because for people who have not gone through a pregnancy loss um, that have children, like they don't understand, like there's a lot of people that just don't understand um, until they walk there, which is pretty much true for anything, you know, unless you've walked that path, right. people can't relate to what it is that you're experiencing. And- right. Our society kind of gives us, sort of some guidelines, but they're, and they're not very good guidelines with grief of what they, what's expected of someone that has had loss, but they're way off base with a lot of stuff. But yeah, Share is huge here in the St. Louis area. It was founded actually in St. Louis and then now it's actually international. But we, we, yeah, we have a great Share organizations at several of the hospitals here. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because yes. Since I was friends with Kathy, they would have events and she would ask me to come and sing for the events. And so I was Mm, loosely affiliated with Cher just as a friend that would just volunteer my time. Um, You know, but I never thought I would be a Cher family, you know, until I was. Mm. And um, Tim and I, actually wrote a uh, grief journal for parents um, because I know that, you know, infertility can do a number on your marriage. Just infertility can do a number on your marriage. So many things could do a number on your marriage, but like infertility yes, was, you know, because there was a lot of, I, I felt a lot of guilt because yeah. like he was the healthy one and I was the one that had the issues and he never um, ever, right. um, said anything like that like it was more the abuse I said to myself about it and the guilt and shame that I felt around it he never did and and we yeah and we as women have a tendency to do that I think women do that well I think as a whole we take on a lot of responsibility and yeah yes yes and because it was my body I had all of this um you know, women, I think, also have more body image uh, issues than men. And so then Agreed. when it's your body that can't do what it was designed to do, and it was your body that mm-hmm. failed at maintaining the pregnancy, like it never occurred to me that it could have been mm-hmm. something was wrong with the baby. Not, I just assumed that it had to have been my fault. I didn't even question, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not glad that, glad that you bring that up because most women, that's yes. exactly what they think. They right. blame themselves for the loss. And probably 100% of the time or very close to that, it had nothing to do with that, what right. they did. Like you indicated, Yes, it had to do with the baby. And um, so... We had so we also had learned that you know losing a child impacted marriages um, different ways, you know, and that mm-hmm. they had a higher divorce rate was one of those impacts. 
And so we were involved in yeah. an organization called Marriage Encounter. So we had some tools and skills that we wanted to share with that the shared community. And so we wrote a grief journal where you could write um, how you were feeling about things and share it with your spouse in a safe space. And so um, at the time mm-hmm. they uh, published it and used it as a, a fundraiser. I don't know what they're, I haven't kept up with it. I don't know what they're doing with it now, 21 years later. Um, but we um, yeah. were able to get through it. And with our, at that point, our marriage was remained strong. And, um, but I will tell you, I took on a lot of guilt and shame about all of it. And the doctors actually told yeah. us, yeah. Um, you'll never get pregnant again. If you do get pregnant again, um, you will, this will happen over and over and you will never deliver a live child. Mm. So it was like the loss of one child Whoa. and all future children, which is another level of loss. Right. And yes, then is. there was decisions to make, you know, do we continue? Um, we knew it took from 93 to 99 to get pregnant six years and about $25,000. How much time and energy did we want yeah. to invest in having our own biological child or do we want to adopt? You know, so we started looking at some other options, you know, um, and okay. yeah. ultimately like, we did nothing for probably six months. Um, because I just couldn't emotionally go. Th- yes. Yeah, I was going to say, you needed yes. some time. Yes. And to meanwhile, bring- you know, I had friends that were still getting pregnant. <laughs> and so, like, I could tell you the kids yeah. that are in my life, um, my friend's children, that would have been um, Hope's age. You know, she would have, um, she was due, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I was, so I I just always kept milestones. So every year it was always, you know, she would have been one or she would have been two or she would have been five, you know, that still, that still actually happens yeah. now. Yeah. I was going to say, I do, do you celebrate? I do. Um, so um, like have, I said, so my yeah, anniversary okay. was June 12th. We lost her June 13th. And then mm-hmm. what we actually did. So it's so hard with pregnancy loss because society doesn't, um, I, I want to say they don't understand. That would be the nice way to say it. <laughs> um, or it also mm-hmm. occurs like they don't respect that kind of loss. And so, um, and there's not the things that you would typically have when a person that has been born and is older passes away. So there's no photos. Correct. Correct. There's no um, right memories, really, of life with the child. There's no right. fingerprints, even. Um, like, none of that was available. And so sure. yeah. um, one of the things that we um, decided to do was, so we had her remains and then they did some testing and then they gave, like we asked for the remains back so that we could actually bury her with my grandparents. So we got permission from the um, cemetery and we have a little plate um, that we had engraved and um, that, so that she has a space that we um, decorate and honor. Um, 
-hmm. that's with our family burial plot. Um, We also created a a hope garden behind our home. Um, So I have a walkout basement. And um, so we created this little hope garden and we have angel, little angel statues. And um, so friends gave me some wind chimes. And so like she was very much part of our, um, like we recognized and and honored her. Yeah. And that was awesome. It was important and And it was healing. Um, I also remember buying a pendant um, with like her name and like, again, like you don't have the traditional things that you would have when somebody older, you know, passes. And so it was important to me to have those things that could could be recognized. So again, I'm going to go back to share. They, um, you know, they have the angel of hope. And so we have a brick there um, in uh, Blanchett Park, uh, St. Charles, Missouri, um, where, and I don't know if they still sell the bricks, but at the time they were selling bricks for the little block area. And so um, Uh this time of year, they have a, like a celebration. I don't know what they're doing with net lately with COVID and how that works. Um, so, and then I have a little miniature statue of hope and, you know, I have hope things all around my house (laughs) and angels all around my house. And so, um, Uh what I realized was that if I didn't, um, take the initiative to talk about her or honor her, no one else would not because they didn't want to, but because there's so much, um, miseducation or lack of education around how to support families going through this type of thing. Yes. Um, Yes. There's a fear, I think, of friends and family to bring up the child because they're afraid that will upset. That's a you know, the parents, the mom. It's actually the opposite. When in the... Yeah, that's a big misnomer. It is. When they're not remembered, yes. When they're not remembered, they people don't understand that that's very hurtful, that their child's yes. not remembered by friends and family. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we actually... Another yeah. thing that we did um, is every year... So, we went to the Hope event, and then we also got an ornament every year. So, I have 20... Um, mm-hmm. hope ornaments <laughs> in our collection just to remember oh, wow. like you know she was wanted and loved and forever changed my life mm-hmm. yes. well yes forever yes. be a part of yes. your life and forever. every year yes. so in the beginning I would say the first actual Gosh, so it's been 21 years. So I would say for the first 15 years, um, I carried a tremendous amount of grief and um, shame and guilt. And um, I don't even know, like it's, it's, those words seem insignificant compared to what it felt like, but just uh, having failed, like I had it that I failed. And um, mm-hmm. a dear friend of mm-hmm. mine. So during, so our anniversary was June 12th. And like I said, she, we, we lost her June 13th. So I dreaded that t- 
time of the year. And um, so one piece of advice that was given to me that I do is to take that day, always that day and do something to treat myself, like whether it's a massage or, you know, typically it's a massage, but something to do to treat myself in honor of being her mom, you know, and um, Mother's Day was almost a year later because this happened in June. And so, and my family was so supportive of it. And, you know, they were like, you're still a mom. Like you, even though this is what happened, like you are still a mom and you can claim that and don't, um, but I felt so guilty, I guess, um, because I thought that I did something to hurt her and, you know, grief and Mm -hmm. all those feelings I talked about, shame and guilt, Um, are very slow vibration emotions that bring you down. And a friend of mine said to me, Mm -hmm. you know, um, our loved ones in heaven, they are, their vibration is very fast, very, very fast, very high. And hope is always with you, which I knew on Mm -hmm. some level. Um, And when you're hurting and our um, grieving so deeply she f- like she literally can't get near you because the vibration difference is so big and that was the first time mm, that gave me access to not that so I'm definitely not suggesting don't grieve and don't feel your feelings I'm definitely not saying that but what I am saying is it gave me okay. extra motivation to heal <laughs> Because I thought, well, because all I really wanted was to sense her and know that she was okay and that she knew she was loved. And so I started learning on like how to um, really, I would say, raise my vibration. So there's lots of different ways you can do that. Um, Lots of simple ways to do that. Um, one thing is to shift to gratitude. Mm -hmm. Gratitude is a very high vibration, you know, and you can't be grateful and feel, you know, sadness and shame at the same time. Like if you're really truly feeling full of gratitude and appreciation, you know, and so I was, then I just started generating, you know, I'd focus on the gift that she gave me that I got to be a mom for those 15, 16 weeks and um, that I knew it was possible, you know, and that I have this special little angel in heaven that was, you know, near me and loved me. And, um, you know, and that would raise, and and as I started practicing other, those type of practices, and then there's things like, um, so there's different essential Mm -hmm. oils that will actually raise your vibration. There's different, um, you know, there's just, just different practices huh. that you can do. Um, Google <laughs> sure. ways yeah. that would fit with your situation, you know, what resonates with you. And so when I started realizing that things started healing pretty quickly and you would think like after 15 years, wouldn't you be done with it? But I wasn't like it was, you know, um, never it yeah. is never done. It never. is never done. It's, you're never done. It, it, um, great love um, changes you, and great grief changes you forever, forever. Forever. And she was so loved, you know, already. Um, 
So, you know, mm-hmm. that's love from yes. the moment that you find out that you're pregnant. And so that is hard for, for people to understand that love. Um, and then how strongly. The well, right. Cause it was, I had, <laughs> I had already marked out my calendar, like on my daytime or like whatever week it was. And, you know, she'd be the size of a, you know, a melon or a banana or, <laughs> and I already put right. that in my daytimer and I'd already oh, made plans. I mean, I was yeah. like, I was so excited, you know? Um, and so I just had it that she was yeah, going to, you know, and right. again, like that's the worst, you know, you just don't think about that until you've walked that, even though I was at share events and knew share families that had walked that path, it never occurred to me that that would be me. And until it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So you indicated that you grieved. For, right. Well, the grief is always with you. Yes. I mean, but the strong grief was for a while. So what did you, you indicated that you decided to think about what you wanted to do, whether an adoption or a biological child? What did so you decide? So it was about six months um, did you until I was even ready to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the doctors had given us this okay. um, verdict. <laughs> like a proclamation of how it would be. Yeah. And I've never, um, you know, what I will, my experience in my 48 years has been the medical world has failed me more than they've helped me. That's just my own personal experience. My, Mm. what has helped me more has been getting to the root of what's actually happening and healing it, you know, um, holistically or with alternative medicine types of things. And so, like I said, the doctors, they were, they said to me, we're willing to, this is really, we're willing to take your money and do this again. And this, we're not predicting success. And so when Tim and I were, you know, had continued to discuss, like, what do we want? Um, there were some barriers yeah. with adoption because of some things that happened in his family legally that um, we would not qualify for a traditional okay. adoption. I really wanted to the, and I okay. really wanted the pregnancy experience. Like I really was wanting that again and mm. I did not, and I wanted the baby experience. So I was so because of these legal issues that, because of his brother um, that impacted, you know, more traditional routes. Mm -hmm. That's also very expensive, you know? Yeah. Um, Right. Oh yeah. And then the, really the best or the, the other option was foster care. And like I said, I really wanted a a newborn um, and that's not typically found in the foster care adoption system. Right. Yes. And meanwhile, this whole time I was um, participating in a prayer group. And um, prior to even, like I said, when my grandparents were alive and we were trying to have a baby, they told me, um, when we get to heaven, we're going to send you a baby. 
but that was like back in 1995 you know my grandpa died mm. in 1995 my grandma went to heaven in 1996 so by this time it's 1999 2000 you know mm. and so I thought well I hope they didn't forget Yes, I hope they didn't yeah. forget. And so, on, Grandma, um, yeah. <laughs> so I every Wednesday night I went to this prayer group, and you know they were continually we were continually praying. And I'm going to tell you what I believe happened. Is, so we um, stopped pursuing, like we we didn't do uh, I the IVF anymore. Um, I did more research on what okay. would so with someone with PCOS what else would make a difference and so in addition to the metformin um what i had read was a low glycemic index diet would also make a big difference so i read everything i could about a low glycemic index diet and uh, followed a very strict low glycemic index diet um so i was doing the things i knew to do physically naturally um and really it was prayer and on Valentine's Day in 2001, mm-hmm. um, we conceived um, our son, Nicholas. And so, um, and then I was terrified I was going to lose him. Yes. And so, um, and because we weren't seeing the doctor every other week and, you know, taking my temperature to ovulate and all of the you know, all of the stuff that goes along with infertility stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. In March, we were in Branson for a little getaway, um, actually for my birthday. And it was spring break. And like I said, I taught piano lessons. And so I, all the students were off for spring break. So we took off for the week. And um, so we were in Branson, not even having a clue that I could be pregnant because my cycles were all over the place anyway. So for me to be late was more, was more typical than not. And um, so at one point we were in Branson sure. and, and I was going to order an alcoholic drink, which I normally don't drink, but we were on vacation. I thought, what the heck? And we, of course we got a room with a hot tub in it. And um, my husband said, um, you know, yes. you haven't had a period and you really should have had one a couple of weeks ago. And um, don't, do you think we might want to get a pregnancy test? And I'm like, well, we can get one. We've already, I mean, we've spent hundreds of dollars on pregnancy tests. Like what's, what's one more, you know? <laughs> and thinking for sure, there's yeah. no, there's no yeah. way. Cause you know what the doctors had said and sure enough, we were pregnant. And so then we went out and bought another pregnancy test because, you know, I just like, we, yeah, we couldn't possibly right, be right. And couldn't, couldn't believe it. Possibly yes. Right. So then I was like, of course, stayed out of the hot tub. And wouldn't drink anymore. But then I thought, oh, my gosh, what if that little bit of, you know, like one drink and being in the hot tub, it could have jeopardized my child. And I just so then it was like um, the anxiety. Yes. And then I was afraid to tell anybody because what if it happened again? And um, I mean, I was Mm -hmm. on high alert and, um, you know, afraid to buy anything until I was like, you know, maybe 20 weeks along, or, I mean, it was just, you know, I, it was a total different experience. Cause the first time I was right. telling anybody right. that would walk near me, like, guess what? I'm going to have a baby, you know? And uh, the second time was like, I just kept it all in. <laughs> of course, my mom and dad and our closest people knew and mostly so that they would pray so that it wouldn't happen again. Sure. And, um, in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm sure scary. like week 15, yes, 16 it was, were it was really scary. hard. And in fact, we were, I think it was in June, we um, had an event that we flew to in Chicago. And when we were in at this event for Marriage Encounter in Chicago, I started spotting. And so I'm out of town. Mm. <laughs> and it's about the same time. It was about the same time along when we had lost hope and um, I had to really do everything I could not to just totally lose it, you know? And so we came back home, went to the doctor and then, you know, they, they put me on modified bed rest initially, but by August I was on full bed rest and I had developed preeclampsia and gestational mm-hmm. diabetes. And of course, again, it was all about this shame. Like if something happens to this baby, it's going to be my fault again. And so it was, um, I enjoyed being pregnant as much as I could. And I was still waiting for the other shoe to drop. And um, Mm. Nicholas was due November 17th. And so, um, like I said, in August, they put me on bed rest where, and they had like this equipment that they could put by my on my nightstand and monitor me from home. And that worked for a couple months. And then once October hit, um, they thought it was best to move me to the hospital. And so they did. Um, and so it was scary, honestly. And of course then one, but, and I didn't buy anything until we knew it was a boy. Like once we found out it was a boy and I'm like, well, we're far enough along. Like we could start buying clothes. <laughs> we could start buying a crib. We could start actually decorating. Yeah. And cause I was just so afraid to do yeah. anything, um, you know, and um, I will say yeah. during that whole process with getting pregnant with hope, losing hope, then getting pregnant with Nicholas, um, my prayer life and relationship um, with God deepened quickly and deeply. Um, and I thought I was pretty spiritual before then. Mm. Um, but it's a, it was a different, like I was totally relying on God because I, science had let me down, honestly, um, with what I had my experience. And so, um, because there's very little that can be done to like, if they know you're losing a baby, there's not like, there's a thing that you could do. Right. Not not early on anyway. You have to be much later in pregnancy right. to to stop labor or even, you know, to stop if you're starting to, to dilate, but once you're right. too far dilated, that can't even be stopped, you know. Um but it it's later in pregnancy that they'll do those um those kind of things. But yeah. Right. When you're not very far so along, they I can't do a, a thing. Lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, and so um, yeah. the doctor said, what you needed to do early. Yeah. You think that um, he's ready. Like he'll, he'll, you know, he may have to be in the um, NICU, but we would rather take a, uh, take a chance given your history. Yeah. Let's get him out, <laughs> you know? And so mm-hmm. um, he was actually born on October 23rd, which was my grandparents' wedding anniversary. So he was my miracle from the moment we found oh out we were gosh. pregnant because we just, 
we, like I said, we were, we had taken a break from, you know, all the science infertility stuff. And then he was, like I said, he was due November 17th, but born October 23rd, which was just four weeks early. So he was actually perfect. Um, no, no health issues whatsoever. He didn't have to go to the NICU. He got to come home with me. Um, you know, I think it was two days, maybe two or three days and, um, no health issues and just, um, just this amazing, perfect little baby, which I think I know, um, having Nicholas after. So sometimes they call those children that are born after a loss a rainbow baby. Have you heard that term before? Yeah. So I think those of us that have have Mm -hmm. had rainbow babies, um, we just have a different kind of relationship with those kids after losing a child. And when he was. Yeah. yeah. Yes. A lot of helicopter <laughs> Yes. And that was like, it was, that was hard. Babies. Like I had heard about this <laughs> whole helicopter mom business <laughs> and um, it took something really for me not mm-hmm. to do that. Um, Cause I also, cause I had friends that had kids yeah. that were older, you know, than Nicholas um, I got to see what that, how that turned out <laughs> for the mother and the child and knew yeah. that that was not something, um, I wanted to participate yeah. in, but I always talked to Nicholas about hope. Like he knew he had a sister in heaven and, you know, when we did the ornaments, he always wanted to put the hope uh-huh. ornaments on. Wow. Yeah. So take your time. I know that's hard. Yeah, the holidays are hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Take your time. So um, did they give you, did they do um, stuff to get um, Nicholas's lungs developed? No, what happened? To take my, him early. Is so that it's why so interesting, was, like how our bodies it had such a short operate. stay. Or? So I have, I think I mentioned I had preeclampsia and gestational diabetes. So the benefit, so those are normally not good yeah. things to have, but there is a bit, there's an upside to them. So the upside no, of preeclampsia is that it, the pressure, the extra pressure um, has the baby's lungs develop faster, which I didn't know that either. And then oh, the, di- the okay. gestational diabetes mm. has the children grow bigger, faster. Yeah. So Nicholas was born. He was uh, yeah, six pounds, seven know. ounces, yeah. um, which is like, that's a normal size baby. Like that's not really that little, you know, I think he wore preemie diapers for maybe yes. like just yes. a couple, like maybe a week, you know, not long. Um, and he was uh, almost 20 inches long, 19 uh inches and three quarters and so um and he grew to be Mm -hmm. six one you Mm -hmm. know so like he was um a good size in his because of the and I because I was concerned about the lungs but they one of the reasons why they said let's go ahead and um take him now my dad had just had a stroke uh three months prior at the age of 49 so they were very scared that I would stroke out given family history and, um, but they did mm-hmm. say that preeclampsia was helping sure. him, his yeah. lungs develop, um, so that he could, would be okay. And like I said, the gestational diabetes okay. helped him be bigger. So, Good. um, all things considered, like, even though I wouldn't wish those conditions onto anybody, 
it all worked. It all seemed to work for his benefit, you know? And again, it's amazing right. to me how God does that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. So he was fearing that off better amazing. because my body was under more duress, I guess. I don't, I don't know, you know, all of the science behind it, but that's what I was told. So um, I was a little scared actually going into delivery. We, um, and the cool, one of the cool things that happened was, um, so, you know, this was this long awaited child, like he's finally here, you know, after all this time. And by that point, this was, so Nicholas was yeah. born in 2001, we got married in 92. So it had been like nine years, right? We had been married nine years. And so, um, and Tim went to every appointment, yeah. and, you know, was really supportive. And then when, I went into labor they because I said to them are you going to do a c-section because I really wanted the experience of a, a vaginal delivery and I said is that even a possibility and they were like well we're uh -huh. not going to know until you know like when when we're happy when it's happening then we'll know and so um they said well if you're up to trying it we're up okay. to you know I think the baby's going to be okay well let's see what we could do and so um they induced me and um at like seven in the morning and he was born at mm -hmm. 3 10 in the afternoon at yes and um so after his wow, head and shoulders fast. appeared they said do you want to pull him out and I thought they were talking to Tim <laughs> and so I looked at Tim and the doctor said Connie I'm talking to you do you want to do you want to pull him out and I'm like that's that's an option yes like <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know that was even an option. And so wow. I wanted, you know, given my um, wow. proclivity to natural, everything natural and, you know, holistic, I wanted to have, you know, in my head, I was like, I really wanted a yeah. home birth and a doula and all that. And my medical needs were clearly beyond that. So that wasn't a possibility. So I, you know, I, I didn't get to have yeah. that. However, being yeah. able to lift him up out um, and deliver, help deliver him um was just amazing yeah. so I was so grateful that that was an option and um I got to pull him out into the world yeah oh very high oh yeah gosh yes and I'm sure the emotion yeah and so were... it was funny um Whew. I had a name picked out we were going to call him Evan um Evan from heaven <laughs> and um but when he was born, he was not a, like his energy. He was not, a, he was not an Evan. He was a Nicholas. And I don't know any other way to describe it, but, and Nicholas was the patron saint of children. And like I said, I grew up Catholic. So we had St. Nicholas. And so this time of year is just, uh, so the mm -hmm. feast of St. Nicholas is Sunday, um, December 6th. And so we would always celebrate the feast of St. Nicholas. And that was fun for him. Yeah. And, and of course, Christmas is jolly old St. Nicholas. And, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, he was our, yeah. our little Nicholas miracle from the beginning. Yeah. Well, I, I want to just give you a, a moment, um, so that you can share with the listeners, um, because you just yeah. recently, not too long ago, lost Nicholas. Um, and so I know you had indicated when we had previously talked that the loss of hope and what you learned through the grief of her helped you with. Yeah. So nothing can a little bit with the loss, the loss of, of a child at any stage. And 
you know, there are life lessons along the way mm-hmm. if you pay attention. So, um, like I said, I remember um, it was about, well, it was five, six years ago when my friend said, you know, um, you know, hope wants to be closer to you, but you got to stop beating yourself up for this, for losing her. Cause it wasn't, wasn't your fault. It was just not like, she was just not ready. And, um, and when you cannot be in that deep, lower, slower vibration, she's, she could be closer to you. And so, um, that always, that was, like I said, great motivation to heal as fast as I could and forgive myself if there was anything to forgive so that I had more access to her. And so on March 16th, um, this year, 2020, Mm -hmm. um, Nicholas was two weeks away from graduating high school. He was 18 years old, 18 years old, four months and 23 days. And, um, it was the first day of spring break. And so that's interesting because we found out we were pregnant, um, the same day, actually, March 16th, 20, um, 2001 is when we found out we were pregnant. And on March 16th, 2020, um, he was getting ready for work. Very healthy uh, young man. Had a, um, what they call sudden cardiac arrest. He had a massive heart attack and um, dropped and was gone. And it took about six months to get the autopsy report back. We knew it was a heart At the beginning, we thought it was either, they knew it was either uh, aneurysm or heart attack. And um, the preliminary results said it was definitely a heart attack, but we couldn't figure out why. And they still don't know why. Um, So his death certificate says indeterminate cause, sudden cardiac arrest, indeterminate cause. And um, again, not prepared, not thinking that would ever happen. I thought, like, we finally got him here. You know, it never, ever, never occurred to me that... I would lose him. Yeah. Um, he was my miracle child. We lost hope and God gave me Nicholas. And um, I just thought that's never, ever crossed my mind ever. And he had some um, health things. Of course, all kids go through different health yeah. deals, but it never, ever occurred to me that he would um, be leaving before me ever. And in fact, my parents, like I said, my dad had a stroke while I was pregnant with mm-hmm. Nicholas. My dad has been through a lot of medical things that he could have died a dozen times in the last 20 years. And I would have bet my everything I owned that my dad would have died before my son. And I was always worried what would happen because my parents and my son were very, very close. And I thought, what's going to happen when Nick, when grandpa dies? Because Nicholas, I don't know how Nicholas will get through it. And um but that we'll never have to know that because Nicholas um, went to heaven first. And so, of course, I was numb. And, um, and then I remembered um, my friend Kathy saying, you know, they're this very high, like the, our loved ones, the veil is so thin, number one. The veil is so, so thin. And our loved ones want us to be happy and they want to be recognized they want to hear from us. Um, and when our grief is so heavy and slow vibration, um, they can't reach us because it's the, it's just too far of a spread between where they vibrate at and where we vibrate at, you know? And so I remember thinking that first day, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how in the world I'm going to do this. 
because this time it's very, the grief is very different um, because I have pictures and I have memories and I have, um, you know, the funeral home took his fingerprint and I have a necklace with his thumbprint like on it. And um, it's just a totally different experience and similar at the same time. And um, I re and I decided yeah. really it was a decision that a couple things. One was I was not going to allow his death and his legacy to be that his death destroyed his mother. And so um, mm. to focus on, mm. like, I have to be grateful for, like, if I would have, if God would have said, I'm going to give you this child, but you're going to get him for 18 years, four months and 23 days, and that's it. I would do it all over again. But I remember making a decision that I was going to focus on gratitude for the, the time that I did have and the memories that I did have. Um, and every day, really, it's about my day is structured around what can I do to raise my vibration so that I could feel Nicholas still. And um, really, it's just been by the grace of God that um, the right things and the right people at the right time come into my world. And um, I would say, you know, 90% of the time, um, I have uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding because I know like he was very active at our church and like, I know where he is. God actually blessed me with a vision. Um, mm -hmm. And I know he's there and I know he's with his sister. And I've had that confirmed in a few different ways, actually, which um, it is. And so both of my children are in heaven. That's awesome. Each loss was uh, different. And yet um, the coping strategies are similar. And um, I know um, when I want to mm -hmm. feel closest to them, I, like I said, I do the things that I can do to keep my vibration high and be in gratitude and be in joy because so I was having a hard time um, recently um, since Thanksgiving and you know the holidays so I was oh feeling particularly sorry for myself uh, one day and a friend reminded me that while this may be your hardest Christmas this will be Nicholas's best Christmas ever he gets to be with his sister and his great grandparents mm. and with our Lord. Mm -hmm. And um, how do I begrudge that? Like, I can't compete with that. <laughs> so you have endured a lot, you know, um, yes. you've had infertility yes. struggles to begin with the loss of hope, um, sure. a miracle, you know, you received a miracle with Nicholas and then you lost Nicholas, but you are such an inspiration oh, thank you for saying that, to Teresa. other women. I believe you're an inspiration to me um, to just to just keep um, thinking of the positive, you know, giving gratitude. So before we conclude, um, I want you to share if there's anything more you'd like to share with the listeners. You've shared so much. Um, I'm sure you've inspired all of them and have, and have encouraged them to just keep going. But if you have any other words um, of encouragement or advice to the listeners, you know, that have, are having infertility struggles. I mean, you've given some great advice already on that. 
or um, through the loss. Well, so um, one of the things that I would give, would this like would add? be advice I would give everyone. And Nicholas and I talked about this, but it's, I think it's appropriate mostly okay. in those, what I would say, what we would call devastating circumstances. Because infertility is devastating. It's a, it's a loss. It's a whole grief process. Mm-hmm. Just that. Not, I don't want to say just infertility, mm-hmm. but infertility by itself definitely is a grieving, something to grieve, you know, because it's all your projected hopes and dreams that you may or may not have had since you were however old, you know. And um, I remember someone saying to me, the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is whether things are happening to you or things are happening for you. And it's very easy, I think, Mm -hmm. in our society to be someone who, you know, I could have, my life would be looked differently if I lived like life was happening to me, like poor me. I had all this infertility struggles and heartache and bills and, you know, et cetera. And then poor me, I lost my first baby. And then poor me, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's easy to go that route. And society will be glad to support you in that. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, and there's the road less traveled. Yes. Where life is happening for our highest and best good because God loves us so much. And to look for the blessing. And it's hard. I'm going to tell you, I thought, so I've given talks on this whole, are you a two or are you a four? And people would say, what do you mean? Am I a two or a four? Well, are you a life happening to me or life happening for me? You know, you want to elevate yourself to a four. If you can, life is just better up here. I'm just telling you. And, um, you know, it's easy to be a two. It takes something to be a four. Mm -hmm. Life is happening for me. And, um, I will tell you, um, my broken mother's heart would much rather have my babies here. And in the middle of all of that, there is still such a tremendous blessing that's available if you look for it. And so to be a four, you really need to keep your eyes peeled (laughs) out to look for it. Like where, where is life happening for me in the infertility? Mm-hmm. Well, then I got to know my body better. I got to learn about the low glycemic index diet, which made me feel better, whether I was pregnant or not pregnant. Um, I got to meet some incredible people. Um, yeah. When I lost hope, where was yeah. that? How was that for my benefit? How was that life happening for me? Well, again, you know, the incredible people that I got to meet and the healing I got to do and the deeper relationship with the Lord that I got to develop. And then with Nicholas, I will tell you that's, this is the, um, I feel like this is my PhD <laughs> program in uh, life happening for me. And in the middle of all that, like I know in my brain, like my heart still wants him here and wants hope here, but my consciousness, my thinking, like my brain, part of my body knows like it's actually a pretty cool thing to have an angel in heaven that like, he helps me. Like I call on hope and Nicholas, like, can you help me out here? And um, not that I don't 
like I still like I know God they're not mm -hmm. I'm not elevating them because I have friends that are like you know they're not God I'm like I know they're not God but they got connections that we like they I'm telling you there's a spiritual realm that's available for us that most people <laughs> do not tap into or appreciate or acknowledge yeah and to have those close um loved ones on the yeah. other side of the veil which is so thin um I had a, actually had a my one of my best friends on the planet said I would not trade places with you forever. I would, I, I don't know what I'd do if I lost my daughter. And I'm a little jealous. And I'm like, really? Mm. <laughs> and she said, Connie, like all of these miracles that have been happening since Nicholas went to heaven. Uh -huh. And, you know, um, and so, you know, I, before I go to bed, I ask for Nicholas and hope to come visit me. And then I also tell my brain, like my subconscious, you're going to remember this. And after a while of practicing that, like that's what started happening. But you have to ask. Mm. You have to ask before you go to sleep and you tell your brain because we dream every night. And so I've been able to have some yeah. beautiful messages come around, come through, yeah. because I was looking for the blessing. And that would never would have happened if I was a victim about any of it. Such great words of wisdom, encouragement, and inspiration for all of the listeners. Thank you. But um, So again, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Connie, for taking the time today to share your story, the journey of all of the losses that you have had but you are such an inspiration with all of your coping skills all of how you are inspiring others and teaching them the coping skills that you have learned and continue to learn I thank you so much for sharing this time with me and thank you listeners for taking time to listen today. I hope that Connie has inspired you and given you some hope on your journey. I hope she has shared some coping skills, some things that will help you with the grief. We all experience grief, like she had indicated, when we're experiencing infertility, when we've lost a child. All of those hopes and dreams, we grieve those. If you have been inspired by this podcast, please share it. Copy the link, subscribe, share it on your social media. If you can share this with one person, that it will help. I know Connie would so much appreciate. She is a woman that really deep down, like all women, want to help other women that are struggling. So share this. As always, if you would like to connect with me, you can do so through Women Connect and Support on Facebook or in the show notes is my email and phone number. Reach out to me. Would love to hear from you. Would love to hear your story. Would love to help you with your journey. 
I want you to know that you are not alone on this journey. We are here to connect with you and to give you support through this most difficult time of your life. And we also knew that sharing stories is so powerful. It can help so many and will always inspire others and give them hope.